Praise the Lord, church. Amen. God is good. God is good. And all the time. Praise the Lord. If you got your Bible, we'll be going to the book of Mark, chapter 3. We'll be reading the latter portion of the chapter from verse 31 to 35. If you're there, say amen. Mark 3, verse 31 to 35 says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on them, which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. With the help of the Lord this evening, I believe God wants to speak to us on partiality. Going to be speaking on partiality. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, sometimes we take it for granted, Lord, how amazing it is, Lord God, to be part of your family, Lord, to be called your children, God, that, Lord, we have the honor and privilege to call you Abba Father, to call you Daddy, Lord Jesus, knowing that you are a heavenly Father and that, God, you love us, Lord Jesus, so much, Lord God, God, the words cannot begin to comprehend. And I pray, God, this evening, Lord, as your word goes forth, God, that you would speak to us. Speak to our hearts, mighty God. Help us to understand and grasp what you have for us tonight. Have your way in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Partiality. What does it mean? According to Oxford Dictionary, partiality means to have unfair bias in favor of one person or thing. Favoritism, prejudice, or bias. That's the other words you could use for partiality. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 35, speaking of Peter, um, after preaching uh, the gospel to the house of Cornelius, and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Peter declared out of his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. James uh, painted the same words in James chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of First fruits of his scripture, or creatures. Scripture declares to us that with God there is no partiality. There is no favoritism. There is no bias. Of his own will, he loves us. Such is the love of God that he gave of himself for the redemption of our souls. That we may be the kind of his first fruits of his creation. 
When God says he loves you and me, he means that. And if you don't believe that, the actions of the cross alone are evident of his love. There is no greater way you could express your love to somebody than giving your own life on their behalf. And you can take those words where God says that he loves you to the bank and he will not fail you. Because God is not a human that he should lie. In other words, God is not corrupt like we are. God, when he said what he says, doesn't mean, or he doesn't come back and say, no, I didn't mean it this way. When he says, I love you, his word is clear on that. James says there is no variableness in God. There is neither shadow of turning, meaning God is pure. God is holy. He's absolute. If God's love and intention towards us is without partiality, without bias or favoritism, why then do we feel like God doesn't love us? Or sometimes it seems he loves others and favors them more than he does us. Well, I believe there are several reasons why and how we come to that thought and conclusion. Unfortunately, I'm not a student of the mind, so I can't give you the science behind what happens to your mind. But while meditating and contemplating on the why, I asked the Lord, why are we like this? Why do we doubt sometimes? Why do we have a hard time completely comprehending that you simply love us? That your love is absolute. Your love is period. It's without partiality. It's not clouded. It's clear. God loves me and you. Though I can't give you the science behind what happens to our minds, but I believe the Lord gave me an answer from the scriptures. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 5 to 8. The Bible says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, there are a couple of things we need to take note from the passage in Romans. The first thing is that the carnal mind, our natural thoughts, state of mind, the feelings and the emotions that, that come with that state of mind, um, what it produces naturally, is it's in oppositions to the laws and the ways of God. It's in opposition to how God would have our minds to be. It's in opposition how God would have us to think and operate. The second is this. When we are overcome by our carnal mindset, we cannot please God. Because the carnal mind causes us to doubt and to fear. Hebrews eleven six says, But without, for without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we come to God, when we approach God, we must first believe in who he says he is. And we must diligently seek and pursue him, not casually, but diligently seek him. 
with care and dedication. When we are pursuing something or someone with great care and dedication, we often come across hurdles that we must overcome. And it's the same in our daily ongoing pursuit of God that we'll come across hurdles and obstacles. And the greatest hurdle in your life, in your continual pursuit of having an intimate relationship with God is your carnal mind. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Paul says in Romans 7, 23 to 25, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul uh, explains to us that there is an ongoing war between you and your natural carnal mind. And you have to fight every day to maintain that peaceable mind that God would have you to have. Every day our carnal mind must die. We must bring it into subjection to the ways of Christ. The Bible says we must kindly ask our carnal mind to behave. No. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10 to 3 to 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When you're having a bad day and all manner of thoughts begin to flood your mind, or when you are in a situation of doubt, you need to cast down those imaginations and those thoughts that exalt themselves to be too big or too small for God to handle. How do we cast them down? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's simple, you see. There's two things. Preaching and worship. Sometimes Sunday is too far out. And sometimes another preacher won't cut it. But because you and only you have a word for yourself that you need to hear in your immediate situation. You have to get yourself into the word of God. You need to start preaching to yourself. There is no excuse because the word of God is available to us. The word of God has never been so easily accessible than this day and age. Whether it's on your phone, your tablet, your computer, paperback. When you are in your situation, the word of God is at your fingertip. When you find yourself in a moment of crisis and begin to doubt whether God loves you, whether his hand has departed from you, or when you're in doubt whether he can forgive and restore you for the millionth time, or when you're feeling forsaken and overwhelmed. You just got to begin to worship. Pastor Gavin preached about 
being humble and uh, about pride. And the second message that he preached was about low self-esteem. Now that sometimes we just need to humble ourselves, even by doing actions like getting on your knees and just begin to worship God. When you're overcome by thoughts that are just flooding your mind with all negativity, you just need to begin to worship. It's your blood that cleanses me. It's your blood that gives me life. It's your blood, Lord God, that cleanses me, Jesus. It's your blood that took my place in redeeming sacrifice and washes me as white as snow. You just gotta get into a, into an environment of worship. Jesus is the one who loves me. Jesus is the one who cares. Jesus is the one who answers every one of my prayers. I know that he will never leave me. I know that he will always be there. When all my fears and doubt arise, Jesus is the one who cares. I know it won't feel like it, but you have to force yourself. You have to bring those carnal thoughts and those carnal imagination unto subjection to the ways of God. And you just got to preach to yourself. Hear me and take heed, O my soul. For God so loved me that he gave of himself on the cross that I may have eternal life. Hear me, O my soul, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. For I am created in the image of God. Every thought of God towards me, it's good and it's not evil. Everything that God does, even though I may not understand it, O my soul, hear me today. It's all for my own good. So that he may give me an expected end, according to the promises of his word. If I confess my sins. He is faithful and just to forgive me. But hear me, O my soul. Not only is he able just to forgive me of my sins, but he is able to wash me from all filthiness of sin. Arise, O my soul, and look up, for the deliverer of my soul is God. He is my salvation. Look up and see where my help comes from. It comes from God. Therefore rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Sometimes Sunday is too far out. Sometimes you may not be able to, to, to be able to reach pastor. Sometimes a podcast or a preaching on YouTube may not cut it. But only you in your immediate situation have a word for yourself. And you need to be able to pick up the word of God and begin to quote and preach the word of God to yourself. There is nothing that worship and preaching to yourself cannot overcome. Because when you begin to worship, when you begin to preach the word of God, it gives you strength. It gives strength to the inner man and allows the Holy Ghost to minister to you and to give you the strength to overcome all manner of carnal thoughts and imagination. Whatever else other people or the enemy of your soul is trying to add to the soup. Bible says you are a royal priesthood. 
That means you're a priest to your own self. And there are times and situations that you will be required to step up and step in to minister to your own soul. The third thing that Romans points us to us is that for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. One of the reasons we struggle with the thought that God, God's love is partial because we view his love through carnal lenses. We mind the things of the flesh, such as comparing ourselves with other people. Well, they are more blessed than I am. It seems like they have it all together. Their life is so perfect. Man, God truly must love them more than me. Only if I was just like them, maybe then God will love me and favor me. There is a quote I came across. I don't know who wrote the original words, but there are similar uh, quotations of this uh, quote floating around the web. And it speaks on running your own race and not comparing ourselves to others. It says, New York is three hours ahead of Los Angeles. But that doesn't make Los Angeles slower. Obama retired at age 55 as president and Trump started at 70. Someone graduated at age 22 but waited five years to get a good job. Someone graduated at 30 but had worked in their profession since 18. Someone became a businessman at the age of 25 and died at 50. While another became the owner of a 50-year-old business and lived up to 90 years. Someone is still single at age 40, while someone else got married very young. Everyone in this world works based on their time zone. The people around you may seem to be in front of you. Some may seem to be behind you. But everyone is running their own race in their own time. Do not envy them. Do not mock them. They are in their time zone and you are in yours. God loves everyone equally. And one's success and talent or the lack thereof does not equate to whether God loves you more or less. In Hebrews, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians, and 2 Timothy, Paul talks about the concept of everyone, every one of us running our own race and how that we are not running aimlessly, but we have, we have a goal before us, an obtainable goal in front of us that is not corruptible, but it's pure. And we must run this race with all perseverance, keeping the faith to the end. Every one of us started our own walk with God at a different age and time. Some of us grew up in the church, some of us did not. Some of us had a Christian background, some of us were atheists, or whatever else we may have believed in the past. But regardless of your background in history, God's love towards you has not changed since eternity and will not change one bit. We cannot and we must not allow ourselves to have our hearts and mind clouded by carnal ways of thinking. How someone chooses to walk with God and how God blesses them and the opportunities that God opens for them due to their obedience to the will of God for their lives has nothing to do with you. 
God loves you just as much as he loves them. And their walk with God, their calling, is entirely different to yours. Though it may be similar, it's entirely different in of itself. Some of us have known God longer than others. Some of us have been walking with God for 20, 50 plus years. Some of us only just started. But we all receive the same amount of love from God. There is a parable in Matthew chapter 20 relating to the kingdom of God and how that the owner of the vineyard called different laborers to come and work in his vineyard at different times of the day. And in the vineyard, after they had finished working, they all received the same amount of pay. Matthew 20 and verse 8 says, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise, and when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These have wrought but one hour, and hath made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But the owner, he answered them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Isn't this the agreement that we made that I'll pay you so much for the work you're going to do? Take what is yours and go thy way. I will give unto this last even unto you is it not evil? Is it sorry? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few are chosen. God's ways are not our ways. The way God chooses to love His people and everyone else in the world, the way God expresses His love. It's not the same as we express love in the natural. To us, when we read this parable, it seems offensive that the, pers- that the many pe- persons or people that worked the many hours received the same amount of pay for the person that just clocked in last minute. Imagine that. You've been working for eight hours long in the heat of the day. And then Jonathan walks in just... Five minutes to clock in off. Picked up a shovel. And then the bell goes, you know, everybody time to go home, he drops it. And he receives the same pay as you. To the natural carnal mind, that is offensive. How dare you? How dare you do that to me? But Isaiah 55, 89 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has been speaking to us through the gift of the tongues and interpretation and the preaching of the word. God loves you. And that's period. Hear me, someone. If you've been doubting and second-guessing his love and his intentions towards you, you need to understand that Jesus loves you. 
We need to have it sown in our hearts and our mind. When God says, I love you, he means that. God loved you before the foundations of the earth. He knew you before you were formed in the womb. And he knows you by name. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to stop minding the things of the flesh. And stop minding the things of the spirit by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Don't look to your neighbor. Don't look to your right or to your left. Don't mind what other people are doing and how their walk with God is going. Don't, you don't need to compare yourselves because you have your own race to run. You are walking with God at the pace that God would have you to walk. And though it may seem some people are ahead and some people are behind, that does not equate whether God loves you more or less. The last thing that Romans highlights is that for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When we allow our carnal mind to convince us otherwise that God's love is partial, that he doesn't care about us and he doesn't love us like he loves the other people. What happens or what begins to happen is a seed of rebellion and disobedience begins to take place. Well, if he doesn't love me, then what's the point? It seems like he loves sister so-and-so better than me. It seems he favors brother so-and-so more than he does me. Well, if that's the case, I might as well go about my own way and do what I want to do. After all, I'm only receiving a little bit of love from God. When we are in, the, in that state of mind, we must urgently bring those thoughts under subjection unto Christ. Because if we do not act quickly, if we don't act sooner rather than later, it will lead us upon the path of acting out. And we know that when we start to act out, we put ourselves in a compromising situation. When we start to act indifferent to others, when we begin to have an attitude and a chip on our shoulder, and if that doesn't satisfy our disobedience, our last result is sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. When we fall into sin, our carnal mind and the enemy of our soul has us where they want us to be. Because the carnal mind wants to reign free and be far away as possible from the ways and laws of God. And the enemy wants us in a state of condemnation and shame, trapped in a prison of our own making, trying to convince us that God has ceased to love us. And that there is no way of redemption. 
In our opening text, Jesus and his disciples, after preaching on the Sabbath day and healing the man in the synagogue, uh, the Pharisees were not pleased with what he did on the Sabbath day. They got angry and they walked off and took counsel to have him destroyed. But Jesus withdrew from them and his disciples that went to the Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude of people in the region and Jerusalem and as far as Jordan came out to him. And he healed them of all their sicknesses, diseases, and he cast out those that were demon-possessed. After that, they left and went up a mountain, and he ordained the first 12 apostles. After that, they entered someone's house to eat. And when the multitude, when the multitude learned of his location, they again flooded about the house and the street, and so much that they couldn't even finish their food. He began to speak to the scribes in parables, because they were accusing him of doing miracles by the power of the devil. Jesus was saying, well, how can a kingdom stand if it's divided against itself? So while talking, that's where we pick up our text, Jesus' mother and siblings arrived at the scene. But it was too crowded for them to get close to Jesus. And they sent a request to let him know that they were here. In the hopes, maybe, scripture doesn't tell us, but from the context, you can't just read between the lines. In the hopes maybe they would have special privileges. That maybe Jesus might command the multitude to part ways and make a path for them to get closer to where the action was. But rather on the contrary, as it were, it seemed like he didn't even acknowledge them. They're like, hey Jesus, your parents, your mother and brother are here. And Jesus says, Matthew 31, to the two, sorry, And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who is my mother and who is my brother? And looking about those who sat around, he said, Look around. Look around this room. These are my mothers. These are my brothers and sisters. Whosoever does the will of God is my brother, the same is my sister and my mother. Jesus was not going out of his way to be rude or anything. But rather, he was making a point in the fact that everyone was special. Everyone that gathered and made the effort to be where he was. Every person that was hungry to hear the word of truth, to be touched and healed, was valuable in the sight of God. They were just as important as his family was. And he gave his family the same treatment as he would have given another people or another family if they had arrived late and were stuck in the back of the crowd. He treated and loved them all equally. Just because they were family, they weren't any more important as the family next to them. They they weren't loved or favored more than any other person that was gathered there that day. If you would stand with me. Who are my mother and brothers? Here in this house, in this room, we are all God's children. We are all brothers and sisters to Jesus. The Bible says that we are heirs with Christ. And in closing, I echo the words of Peter. Of the truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. 
But every nation, in every nation, he that fears him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Why don't we just pray and give God the glory in this place?